Uh oh. I think we my kids are playing. We watched it for a second. My okay. kids are playing <laughs> Roblox. Uh, how so dare those children be children? So much bandwidth. Classic. But Roblox are like Yeah, they play. They like to play Among Us. They're, they're kind of over that. I feel like they're kind of the Among Us is. Yeah, I feel like the, the, the down phase. Oh, my nephew phase. plays Among Us on Roblox. <laughs> yeah, God. yeah, Roblox is everything. Wow. Squid Games. Uh, You're listening to the John Chi Show, hosted by three Korean American adoptees diving headfirst into what it means to be adopted Korean American and more. And now, here's your hosts, Nathan, Patrick, and KJ. Here we go. Um, what's up, John Chi people? It is your boys, KJ, Nathan, Patrick, back with another episode. Our first interview of 2022. Woo! This one with the illustrious Shalice Gisaki. Uh, it was a really, really incredible interview. And um, I just found myself like discovering so much language in the middle of it i don't know thinking back to i think that was a week ago which probably already feels like a month ago what were your impressions of this interview to get to get listeners hyped for what they're about to experience oh, but, but what are we listening to maybe we should explain what the john chi show is first oh my gosh this is, <laughs> they already know what a nightmare <laughs> this is why i don't know this is why i don't roll into episodes it's 2022 oh there we could have a whole lot of new no listeners. you're right you never know we have approximately one new exactly. listener. i think the 1. challenge 5. for our new listeners is to go back yeah. and listen to a previous episode <laughs> How dare you give our listeners homework, Patrick? I, I give them homework. I give them a challenge. Wow. <laughs> we this are the different. John Chi Show. Three Korean-American adoptees spread out across the country. I know that's not as dramatic as it really was meant to sound. but Well, if you say it's not as dramatic, then <laughs> it definitely makes it so. It was, yes. But uh, we are exploring our Korean heritage and our adoption and our stories and other people's stories and food and culture and pop culture and language <laughs> anything else <laughs> you guys nope. are just gonna let, nope. you guys are just let me go on forever aren't you <laughs> yeah man there's this whole there's this thing called rhythm where when you talk you then throw it to one of your other co-hosts like it's like a bounce pass but uh you were like no i'm gonna i'm gonna hang out i'm horrible at basketball he drove down to the baseline and picked the no. ball up and you're, that's never where you want to <laughs> no. have the ball up. I'm going to double, triple dribble. So, yeah, no. Yeah, well, that's not even a move. But <laughs> he's, it's definitely he's dribbling a with both hands and his foot <laughs> oh at the same time. Oh, my gosh. It's the tripong triple. <laughs> we need to give Nathan some basketball language. Um, <laughs> um, the basketball is called the rock. When you got the rock in their hands, ain't no telling what you're going to do with it. I guess. <laughs> All I can think of is Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage now when you say that, The Rock. But that just ages me. I know. I've seen that movie. It's a good movie. I don't know. I have not. I don't know what you're referring to. <laughs> it's about a prison. Say, most of the movies I've seen, you probably have not seen, right? So I feel like the 80s and uh, 90s. That's not necessarily true. Oh. Uh, yeah, I missed a lot of movies in those two eras. Mm-hmm. How many movies do you so. think you've realistically seen, Nathan? Number. Oh, gosh. Thousands? Thousands? <laughs> I mean, thousands. I, I own 700 movies on DVD. Wait a minute. How do you know that number so, so quickly off the top of your head? Because 
Because you just recently a... inventory your DVDs because you moved. He created a whole Wikipedia for his own DVD. <laughs> no, collection. it's because I have a uh, the Case Logic DVD cases. You know the big ones. I have three three hundreds, so I know I have capacity for nine hundred, but they are not filled. Oh, I was about to say that's nine hundred. So you have two hundred more CDs you're forgetting about. No, I have space. But you knew. You yes, know. have you have space. space for. Are you going to fill that? I up? was about to say that was six hundred. <laughs> So I suck at math. Are you? I was like, where are you getting the extra hundred? <laughs> All right, before we talk about the interview, are you going to fill up the last two hundred slots? Do you think? No, because now everything I do is digital. So I mean, there's there's a fair yeah, portion of Blu-rays, but uh, a lot of my movies are digital these days. So, what about your? Well, what is the decade range of music? Like, when when do you think the earliest version? Because you like classical music, so you know these are movies. Swap. These are movies. Oh, the 700 you own are movies. These are DVDs and, and TV series. Oh, Patrick, yeah. Were you even here re- for the five minutes before <laughs> we <literally laughs> just zoned out completely? Um, <laughs> thought we were talking about music. I just came from an alternate universe. Um, I'm a variant wow. of myself. Patrick, one, it, two, three. If, if you need a sneak peek of the collection, you can go to my baby announcement uh, back from 2016. I think I sent that to you guys a while back, but... People, people on Instagram, you can scour my Instagram back and you'll see there's, there's a fair amount, but yes. Man, my fellow co-hosts always be, be giving our listeners homework. I'm sure you've given out one piece of homework at some point in the past. 75 uh, Yeah, it was uh, give us money or ratings oh, yeah. or send us an so email. That, yeah, so just that's less homework and more just Weekly tasks. It's just a general a ask. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of general asks, Nathan, what did you think of this interview? I liked it. I mean, the fact that we're back into it, I know it's 2022. We're kind of uh, a little rusty on on uh, interviewing people. Everything, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> Our intros were rusty on what foods we have. No. Our audio is rusty. Our audio was rusty. I thought about. it was great. This was a good intro. Yeah. No, I, th- I think everything's good. We'll, we'll we'll be back into the rhythm quickly. It's it's you know it's it's fine. It takes a little We're bit all of time fine here. H- how are you? Yeah, I mean, I think people understand after seventy some episodes. You know, hey, you just uh, said there's one new listener, and you made us do the entire explaining what the John G Show was because we didn't do that. So I said that they knew. This is a challenge for our listeners. Do you know or do you not? Put that in the comments of the of this episode. Yeah, just just <laughs> yes, yes or, or no. no. Uh, no further context. That's it. I, I, I actually do want that. Like. I do want that. That'll show how many people are listening to this. <laughs> Five. A yes or a no. And we'll count them up and you'll get a prize. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah. No, I, this, I, I enjoyed everything uh, Ishley said was was great. We, As I recall, we were, we were learning a lot, which is great because, you know, 2022, New Year comes around. Everyone's like, you know. You want to you have resolutions or you have things you want to do or, you know, change or whatever. But she came in, you know, strong with a bunch of stuff that we didn't know about. And uh, I thought that was great. So, Yes. Hashtag vigorous nods. <laughs> yes. For oh, yeah. Vigorous nods. Vigorously you won't see the video, nodding. but yeah. there was moments when all of us were nodding at exactly the same time. It was. Yep. There's a lot yeah. of silence on our parts like, because we're just busy, vigorously nodding. Our John Chi at the Roxbury. Yeah. I think what I really liked about it, what you both touched on, is just the fact that she brought new language to things that we've, like KJ talks about in the episode, we've been talking about all year and uh, while doing the show. And so it was really. It's always very fascinating and, and, and really incredible to have a new conversation and then come across a new way of thinking about what we have are defining in our heads every week that we do the show. So um, 
this is a really this is a really wonderful interview. Um, I'm really excited for everyone to hear it. So without further ado, we're going to kick it over to our interview with Shalise Kisaki. Welcome back to the John Chi Show interview. We are here 2022 and we have a great guest with us today, Shalise Giseki. Thank you Giseki. for joining us. Giseki. <laughs> See, this is, this is where I'm going to butcher the names. Like I was going to say do. it that you were going to pronounce it wrong when we got to the interview. <laughs> I didn't want to jinx it and you still did it. That made, that made me laugh in my sickness. I mean, at least we didn't ask her how to say her name. See, on, right? On and the I, interview. Well, I guess that it's didn't fine. really help, but... We but learned some things in the past year of podcasting. <laughs> Sorry. But thank you for coming on the show. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm really excited to be here. So thank you. Don't laugh at me, Patrick. I can I can start with some pleasantries. <laughs> I was <laughs> laughing about a funny joke I read earlier. Shalise, <laughs> uh, again, thank you. We start our show like we always do, where um, you are open to discuss your adoption story with as much or as little as you would like. Um, so go ahead and tell us a little about yourself. Um, well, my name is Shalise Gizaki. I am a intercountry Korean um, interracial adoptee. I was adopted as an infant by a white family. I was raised on a farm in Minnesota, New All, Minnesota, home of Shell's beer. Um, I have shouts out. <laughs> I have three siblings. They, um, an older brother, an older sister, and a younger brother, and they are my parents' biological children. I'm the only adoptee in my family. Um, you know, my family, good kind of Christian. Not crazy Christian, but just kind of baseline Christian, <laughs> loving family. That's an unfortunate so a clarification. Yeah. clarification. <laughs> they're they're yeah, the good ones. They're not crazy. Yeah, they're just normal. Um, <laughs> as normal as you can be in that environment. Uh, but, you know, they were certainly not people who were informed about trauma-informed parenting. Uh, I was raised in adoptee isolation. I was raised in cultural and race racial isolation um <clears throat> and yet i i'd like to say that i've come out the other side all right <laughs> but in reflection you know there was a lot missing in their education um for guidance about you know the adoptee experience and um interracial adoption um let's see i um have searched for my korean family i was a part of a goal cohort first trip home. If you're familiar with goal and their first trip home program, um, my husband and I went in 2011 and, um, I was on TV. I went on a TV show. Um, but I did not find anyone in my family. Although there were people in my cohort who did, um, find members of their family, which was, um, in and of itself, like a, a very powerful experience but to witness, to witness that is, is, is very powerful. Um, and just being in Korea was great. And um, um, let's see, I'm not in reunion. Have and you I been think back that, to Korea since? Or uh, no, uh, definitely thinking about that. Um, so after, let's see, uh, maybe in around 2000 and oh, I don't know when it was 
2005, 2006, I um, was had been working at a, as a legal assistant at a law firm, and I wasn't working there anymore, and I was looking for some place to volunteer, and uh, my husband, a co-worker of my husband is an adoptive parent, and she mentioned that I should get in touch with Adopt Mosaic. Um, and so I met with Ostrid Castro, who's the founder of Adoption Mosaic, and I started volunteering there. And then I started working there um, until uh, 2013, and I had um, my first child. And then I took a break and had a couple, another, I had my son. Um, and then I, I think during the pandemic, Ostrid was relaunching Adoption Mosaic, and I was, you know, just getting into a place, my kids are eight and five, um, where I would have some more free time, and she asked me if I wanted to um, jump back in the fray with ad herself in Adoption Mosaic, which is Adoption Mosaic, when I first encountered it, was a nonprofit, and now it's been relaunched as a, it's just a private business and LLC. So mm. um, we are doing that together. So we've been doing that for the past year. Um, also, yeah. when I was at, I think I was still working at Adoption Mosaic, but I was also helping um, a friend of mine. Um, his name is Kevin Volmers. He was starting a blog called Land of Gazillion Adoptees. And so I was helping him um, edit and curate that blog. And then it turned into an online magazine called Gazillion Voices. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so I helped him edit and curate for that as well. And I think it was only, I mean, it was really only around for like a year, which is too bad because it was really cool. Um, I, I, it was, a, I just, I got to meet some really awesome people, uh, adoptees, adoptee scholars, adoptee writers. Um, so I also help with that. And so, but now I'm back in adoption mosaic land. Um, just you know helping to run and grow the business our uh, right now our biggest program is called we the experts adoptee and adoptee ally speaker series that's once a month um we the experts is every second saturday of the month it's four adoptees talking about a specific topic for example last saturday we had our first panel of of the year and it was adoptees and documentaries so it was adoptee filmmakers or somebody who is, is the, had been the subject and helped produce a, um, an adoption-related documentary. And then our Adoptee Ally series is quarterly, and that's non-adopted people um, talking about some aspect of um, the adoption experience. So um, our last one was Partners of Adoptees, so non-adopted people who are partnered with adoptees. Hmm, cool. Lots to unpack in your story. Yeah. Um, yeah. You've done a lot, uh, clearly within the community. And I wanted to jump in and, and kind of take it back a little bit. You talked about, you know, growing up in Minnesota, growing up in isolation, culturally, racially, and as an adoptee as well. Um, mm -hmm. I'm wondering, when was the first time? I guess this might be a two-part question. When was the, maybe the first time that you kind of understood that was your situation um, as a child growing up in, in the household that you grew up in? And then when was the first time 
maybe after that, when you went to college or, or whatever your next step was after uh, leaving the town you grew up in, um, what's the next step for you in terms of either engaging with your ad- adoptee identity or the community or with uh, your Korean identity or community? Yeah, so I don't mean at the time as a ch- child in my household, I don't think I realized I was really growing up in cultural isolation. <laughs> um, uh, as very much, even though I don't think it, you know, it wasn't malicious or nefarious, but assimilation was the plan. That was my mm. parents' parenting plan, which was <laughs> which was the guidance they were getting from you know everyone around them. Um, and so, you know, I very much functioned as like another, I was kind of like a, a, a white, how, how would you explain it? I don't know if it's a white person with an asterisk, like, oh, she's really not white. Or if it's Korean person with an asterisk, like she's, she's enough like us. It's okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, like I, I grew up listening to country music and, um, you know, my, my family is of German descent, German, Norwegian, Swedish descent. So we ate all the foods and, um, you know, my my maternal grandmother, uh, she still spoke German to all of her friends and like, just not that far removed from like the immigrant, that immigrant um, experience. Mm. Um, but I think in retrospect, there are definitely times touch points when I realized that maybe this wasn't wasn't exactly for me or wasn't really the place for me and speaking of country music one of them was like realizing there's not really a place for me in country music like I'm not going to become a famous country music singer or probably not even musician I think at one point my dad kind of had this dream I'd be like a fiddler (laughs) I but dreamed I, of it too. Did you want that for yourself, though? What was that? Did you want that for yourself to be a, a famous country music person? Um, no. I mean, I don't think I. I don't. I don't have. That's not where my talent lies. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but but just like you know, and for some of it is just that racial mirroring and reflection. Mm. Like, there's no. There's. Now it's pro- might be different, but j- as in the, you know, 90s. I mean, Lil Nas X is showing us it yeah. is yeah, really no, that different. So. I used exactly. to think I, I wanted to be, actually. When when American <laughs> Idol first came out, I used to think to myself, like, wow, oh, no, man, God. this would be so cool if I could sing and somehow get on the show and sing country music. It would just <laughs> blow everyone away because I'd be an Asian singing country music. And yeah. I, that was a thing that I actually... I had little mini, you know, dreams about, I guess you could say, but, uh, I, I love that step one but, for your dream is learn to sing. Yeah. All this <laughs> is, and maybe that's why my, sing, my, a good step my one. karaoke is very, uh, uh, you country crushed it karaoke. It was great. So, yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. okay. But, <laughs> and, and then kind of extending into that is kind of like just the, the lifestyle of my family. It, there isn't, wasn't really a place for me. Mm. Um, and I think it's just, because of being being raised in adoptee isolation, I had no language to put to that kind of underlying anxiety and insecurity I felt about belonging and even yeah. fitting in. Um, and so, you know, I worked, so I was definitely, if you're familiar with, you know, the concepts of compliant or defiant adoptees, 
I was definitely a compliant adoptee and I tried to do everything I could to please the people around me so they would, um, you know, make, help me feel, or I mean, they wouldn't reject me basically is kind of the life I was living. Absolutely. Speaking of language, did you by chance try to learn German at all? (laughs) Uh, No, the high school that I went to, um, they did offer German as a, there was, you could either take German or Spanish Right. But Spanish was like the more fun class. <laughs> it yeah. had like so. Like, they're um, eating nachos in there. I don't want to eat more sauerkraut. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, we had that same. Exactly. We had that same option. I chose Spanish also, but at some point, I actually I wanted to learn more German, and and I think it was because you know of my you know my adoptive parents you know background and everything. So yeah. I I remember learning you know, some basic words and the numbers and everything far, you know, so long ago compared to more recently learning the Korean numbers. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, I, I find that interesting. I'm curious if, I don't know, KJ, did you ever learn the Korean number or the German numbers before the Korean numbers or? Um, no, I learned German after Korean because I actually went to Germany on a oh. mission trip. So all of my German is based in baseball terms. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like really unuseful for just normal life. Um, yeah, but Shalise, I'm, I'm curious. So you, you've expressed something that I think a lot of us adoptees feel, but I think the way you said it in some of your story really makes it stand out to me, but you said that you felt like there wasn't space for you in your family or in the same way, like, like we were joking about country music, right? Um, and I know that that's something that a lot of us feel even if we can't give language to it, but what, well, I guess my question is, did that sense of like not feeling like there was space for you, was it heightened because of your family's proximity to like German slash immigration, uh, culture status, whatever, or was it just kind of like really pronounced? Like, like, I don't know. I just, I know I don't look like my family and that really gives me a lot of anxiety. Yeah. I, I mean, I feel like it wasn't even that prominent, it was just, it was a really subconscious kind of feeling because I, I, the benefit of growing up in a small community is that people know about you very easily. Like everyone knew like who I belong to um, and, and kind of everyone knew that I was adopted. I mean, one, it was really obvious, but also, you know, people just, you just kind of know the basics of everyone's business in a small community or finding out isn't that difficult Um, So, you know, I wasn't like confronted with a lot of questions all the time or anything like that. But um, I, I think, you know, with anyone trying to adopt another culture that isn't theirs, especially one where there's a big like racial difference, it's hard to feel one, I think it's hard to, to feel really authentic or like not performative in doing it. And two, it, um, but there's also kind of the sense of if I don't do this, I don't have anything else. Cause I had no guide to show right. me how to pursue Korean culture. Like I remember checking out books at the library, but I mean, only I was interested in that, you know, like my parents weren't making, well, I take that. Uh, there was some times where my parents, we made egg rolls, but you know, that's 
<laughs> um, I thought you were going to say there were some times when my parents made white rice. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, instant rice and yeah. um, chow mein from the can. That was like the scent of Asian cuisine at my house. But I think, it, um, and yet I think that, I mean, that's part of um, that kind of unspoken especially in adoptee youth, like this kind of unspoken, like, I don't know if it's, for me, it kind of expressed itself as melancholy. Like uh, I wrote a lot when I was young. And so I have like these journals where it's like, oh, I'm, I'm not alone, but I feel lonely. I often felt Mm. like internally very lonely and kind Mm -hmm. of adrift. Yes. Um, Yep. I have a journal But I didn't know, I didn't know why. And I think that's the danger of not helping young people have put language to these experiences because then you start to internalize it. Vigorous and then I think that puts you on a really self-destructive path. Yes. Oh my gosh. I, it is amazing to me that we've been doing this for over a year now. And obviously, I mean, we've talked about so many of these themes, like they're so common in adoptees, but something about how you are speaking to them is just, I can tell it's resonating with the three of us in a yeah. way that maybe it hasn't, previously so wow that man that's incredible um yeah i feel like you're i feel like i'm gaining language listening to you talk i'm just like i don't need, i don't need to go to therapy i can just talk to shalice here i'm just <laughs> yeah. listen to this episode and this is all things i can unpack this on my own now that i've identified it but uh, man that's incredible so how what's been the what's i mean what's been the process for you of even thinking about these things has it been your proximity to adoption mosaic or like how do you like come like how did you come by this language and these like levels of thinking so i would say until um my mid 20s i was very much in the fog i was like oh yeah i'm adopted i'm so well adjusted <laughs> Um, and probably because I will, I expressed a lot of my trauma as being compliant. So, you know, it's like, I, I didn't, you know, do a lot of drugs, do a lot of self-medicating with substances. Um, you know, I got good grades. I, I was doing all the things that other, you know, people were externally approving of. And so I don't think, I thought I was doing okay. And yet I still, you know, still having these feelings of, being lonely and lost a bit. Um, and then I kind of had this aha moment where I was like, oh, wait, I really think like maybe adoption and, and race really were an issue for me. And it was like, it was a thing. It was like my husband and I were, I don't know. If, I, I don't know if we were married then or not, but we were about to be married. I think one of it was because I was about to be, get married. Major life changes, of course, often stir up a lot of feelings, especially for adoptees. Um, I, <clears throat> and even though I didn't realize it at the time, you know, change really was hard for me. Uh, it gave me a lot of anxiety and, um, but we were just watching TV and then we were talking about something and we were kind of teasing each other. And my husband was like pretending he was me. <laughs> <laughs> like talking in my voice and like, um, and he's white. So it's kind of funny, but I think it was like this kind of flash of like, uh, the, a mirror. It was like this, this, um, ex- just this point where it's like, all of a sudden a mirror was thrown up in front of me and I was like, and I just was started sobbing and I'm not a crier. I'm, that, that's mm. not a, a way I usually express myself. 
Um, and I was just sobbing. And then, um, and he, of course, he felt really bad. <laughs> and I'm like, no, it's, I don't, it's not really anything you did. It's like I'm just having this moment because I realize, like, all I have been, um, and I'm also like a kind of a, I'm an avoider by nature, disassociate when thing, anything emotionally challenging. I just, I won't, I don't want to deal with it. And I think that was just like this flashpoint where I was like, okay, there's a lot of stuff I haven't been paying attention to that need, I need to pay attention to. And so, and then I was looked, then I started, I mean, this was when, um, when blogs were just emerging, really. So this nice. is t- speaking to my age a bit. Um, <clears throat> so, but I was reading and yet it was so great for me at the time because I could, through words, because I love to read anyway, um, I could find, I found all this like validation and reflection in my experience, which was so helpful and then I found Adoption Mosaic, and um, I don't know if you're familiar with Ostrid and her work, but um, the way I talk about adoption is, you know, I would say almost 100% because I am in community with Ostrid on a daily basis, um, and she is just a, such a unique mix of innovation and empathy and compassion, and, um, you know, that's what... and that's one of the things we work really hard at Adoption Mosaic to do is to put language to these experiences. So other people, we can understand ourselves and other people can understand us better. Um, So I'm like, in my, I don't know, maybe 26, 27, getting married, I've like had this sort of epiphany that I have some issues. Um, I start reading blogs. I start volunteering at Adoption Mosaic and having, you know, meeting other adoptees in person, um, you know, doing a lot of soundboarding with Ostrid and reading a lot of articles. And um, and then from there, it was just, yeah, just, and then I, because I was working for Adoption Mosaic, becoming more involved in the adoption community. And then when um, Kevin asked me to help with uh, Land of Gazillion Adoptees and Gazillion Voices, that really um, also helped me to meet a lot of other adoptees and, uh, and introduce a lot of other thinking about adoption. And, um, and that's one of the things I love about Adoption Mosaic now. And we, the experts is because I get to meet a lot of adoptees and hear a lot of different experiences. And I found that having the, the gift of perspective is really it is a gift. It is, it's really great to be able to put yourself into a multitude of other stories and kind of, you know, know where you feel. Because if you don't have that, then the things do, I think it does feel really oppressive and very heavy. And um, so when you, you know, for example, meeting other adoptees whose parents, adoptive parents have struggled with infertility and they bring that to the table as parents um, is great. Those stories are great for me to know because I realized that I, I, that my parents didn't have issues with fertility and they were already parenting. And so they, you know, I wasn't their first child. I wasn't their only child. I wasn't the plan B child. And that, you know, that's a layer of experience that I don't have or, you know, <clears throat> and which makes me feel glad because I think that's, you know, there's a lot of other stuff that goes along with um, having adoptive parents like that. Yeah, absolutely. So, mm. did I answer your question? I sometimes I start. No, it, you, you definitely so. did. Okay. I, yeah, it is. 
hilarious and heartbreaking to me that your first major mirror of yourself was a straight white man. <laughs> You're like, ah, okay, great. Um, I don't know. I feel like part of my coming out of the fog and swinging 100% in the other pendulum is just being hyper aware of the straight white man. And so, um, but I don't know. I mean, it's like kind of going into a fun house or looking at a broken, looking through a broken mirror and you're like, Oh look, that's me. If not the most accurate representation of me. And now I want to know more about myself. Um, and I think it's refreshing. I mean, this show was born out of, um, 2020 and uh the i think the greater racial conversations around you know right after george floyd was murdered and those kinds of things and so that was like a lot of like racial tensions were on our mind and so uh we i i guess i don't get to hear many stories where that's not like the hotbed of like all of those elements or something similar to that like a 9-11 or something is um the reason for that coming out of the fog journey to start happening so um, again, just really enjoy your perspective and, and the tensions that you bring to what it means to be an adoptee. Oh, and I also you. really like um, just the the work you've probably been doing for Adoption Mosaic. I like going through the website recently. I actually haven't heard much about it, but the first thing that um, when I brought it up was the, the big tagline right across the, the front that says, like adoption, a mosaic is a picture created of bits and pieces. The spaces in between remind us that each piece has a history of its own. I, I think that's, that's great. Um, you've been with them for a long time. Uh, is, have you seen, I mean, you, the changes through uh, the company from both being nonprofit to, to profit or to um, I just, the, the changes in, in the society and, and things like that. Um, you know, tell us a little more about, uh, about your work there and what, uh, you know, why have you stayed there? Um, well, yeah, I think there's a marked difference between when it was functioning as a nonprofit and some of it is the time period in which it was functioning as a nonprofit. So I think it was open. Um, I think it, it closed, um, in 2000, maybe 2015, 14 or 215, um, it, it closed as a nonprofit. And I mean, some of it was, it is really hard to fund for ad adult adoptee programming. And so yeah. what we found ourselves doing as an organization was providing a lot of programming to adoptive parents. Um, one, because they had like the, 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 the financial resources to self select for, you know, certain programs and um, also, I think also too, with that in mind, our goal was never to serve adoptive parents, but this idea that if you are better educating, supporting, providing for adoptive parents, that leads to a better outcome and experience for their adoptee. That way we were, we were kind of going through this channel of adoptive parents to try to get to adoptees. And we did have some like youth programming, direct youth programming at the time, Um but also, I mean, when you're trying to fundraise and write grants, especially, um, there's a lot of grants for kids and kids programming, but not adopted kids, <laughs> because um, trying to fight the dominant adoption narrative, um, you know, two foundations whose boards are a bunch of white people, like, mm -hmm. you know, benevolent white people, philanthropists, um, it's really hard to fight that in, you know, two pages, of an application. Um, it's hard to make the case 
uh, it's people don't want to see adoption criticized. Um, mm -hmm. Now, I think maybe now in in this more current racial environment, it might be easier to make a case for that. Um, but at the time, it was very difficult. And so it was just really hard to get the money to do the things that we wanted to do, which was really help um, adult adoptees and build that community because, um, you know, much like our experiences is like, we don't, maybe we weren't thinking about it as much as kids. And if we had the chance, maybe we would thought about it more, but as adults is when we really, we really need a lot of community and support. Yeah. Like much like myself in, you know, when you're in your early twenties, like get in college or you're starting a major life change, getting married, starting a new job, moving to a different state. It's like all those times where you're re-identifying yourself and, you know, adoption usually pops up then. In addition to that, uh, I noticed on your adoption mosaic um, um, seminars and speaker series that you're having, you also have uh, the support, like you were just kind of saying, is that the support for everybody, but you also have a specific like title for it where they have to sign a waiver for that. I thought that that's great. I mean, because I like the idea of having, you know, support and allies and things like that, but also that they can understand the fact that they're there for support and not to, to lead any, I guess, discussions in a way. Is that, is that something that they've always been doing? Um, is yeah. So once they started um, online, anyone who attended, I think originally they were in person panels before pa pandemic and so I, uh, but the same thing, even then you could, you could invite a support person, but they couldn't ask questions or, um, and they were just there to listen and learn. And I think yeah. part of it is because one, we do want things that are adoptee led, cause that's really important, especially when we're talking yeah. about our, the adoptee experience. Um, and much like the title, we, the experts, everyone is an expert in their individual experience. And we, we deserve to be, to be treated like we know what we're talking about when we're talking about our adoption experience. And yet we also know that it's extremely beneficial if our adoptive parents, if our partners, if our good friends can hear um, our perspective. And, so, yeah, I, I and sometimes I think it's easier if you're like, um, you know, like with my parents. Um, so when I was working at, at Adoption Mosaic, my there was a workshop called um, talking with your kids about adoption and my parents were visiting and I said, I'm going to help Ostrid with this workshop. Do you, do you guys want to come? And um, they agreed to come and, you know, they came and they participated and it was really, for me, um, that was really like a, uh, I think it was a bit of a crossroads in our relationship. Like, it was sort of like a make or break. And the fact that they agreed to and came and participated in this workshop that was was asking some pretty hard questions of them, like things they did want to talk about or never had never considered before. Um, like one of the things, resources in that um, workshop is 20 Things Adopted Kids Wish Their Parents Knew, um, which is as, as a book. And my after that, my mom read that book and then we had, we had a really good discussion about it. And, um, I, so I think sometimes it's easier to like, you know, we talk so much about centering the adoptee voice, which is really important, but sometimes yeah. in your personal life, in your personal family, it's, it's easier to decenter yourself and say like, Oh, look at these people. 
they're talking about something that I've experienced, but it isn't like between us. It's not a, a direct comment on our dynamic or a judgment on how I think you treated me or whatever. And Less so finger I think pointing. It, it's, <laughs> yes, it's a great way to 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 bring a perspective, attention to a perspective, and then mm -hmm. also like start a discussion about it. Like, oh, you know, the person on the panel said this. Did you ever feel that way? Um, and much like uh, the panels, um, actually, my husband was on the Partners of Adoptees panel. And he he talked about going to Korea and, and how for him, even for him, that was a really transformative experience, just ex seeing other adoptees going through this this process. And um which was great. It was good. When did you when did you guys go to Korea? Two thousand eleven. Was that in between the time that you were working with Adoption the two times that you worked with Adoption Mosaic, or was that during the first? Stint. During the first time, which which was one of the reasons I thought I could go is because I had mm. like community and support to go. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I know when you talked about it early on, you talked about the experience going back. And I think one of the questions I like to ask everyone who's been back is because I haven't been back um, was like, what was that initial feeling that you had stepping off the plane and being in Korea for the very first time or for the second time, I suppose? And then a follow-up to that would be you talked about you went on the birth search, you went on 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 TV, Katie uh, Gagel, who helps us with social media, she shared about that experience as well. Um, and you unfortunately didn't find anything at that point. But you were at you happened to be privy to others in your group who had that experience. And you said that was really powerful. And I was wondering if you could share what that experience was like for, from your perspective as well. Yeah. Um, absolutely. So leading up to Korea, I was so anxious. Um, I smoked so many cigarettes. <laughs> um, I, I just, I, I, I lost weight. I mean, not a lot. I mean, I wish I would have lost more. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I was so anxious and, um, and then like getting off the plane, uh, I like, and I remember stepping outside the airport and like, I feel like I have this distinct memory of feeling like my bones settle. I don't know, my soul settle. Something happened where I was like, oh, this place is completely like familiar to me or I felt so connected to it and it wasn't like anything particular happened I just was like outside and like walked out of the airport to go to the bus or wherever we were going to and I this feeling just like washed or you know what I think it was like I felt like I was putting or like my roots reappeared or mm. something or reattached or like they shot out of me because it was the right place. Um, but it was like a physical, I had like this physical feeling of like connection and belonging and, but, and to say, because adoption is always both. And it's very rarely binary about, or black and white about anything. It was really great. I mean, I think physically I felt different there because everything was made for me. Mm. People like me. All the ads, I mean, yes, there's a lot of discussion about Western beauty standards and influence of, of 
you know, capitalism, Western looks and whatever in Asia. But, um, but at the same time, like all the ads are Korean people, um, you know, with, with some exceptions, but like walking down the street, it was like the first time I've ever felt anonymous. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a point where we were, we were at like some shopping place and, um, my husband went to go look at something and he was going to meet me back outside. And I saw him one because he was very tall in Korea. <laughs> <laughs> I could see him looking for me and he couldn't find me immediately. <laughs> right. I could have hid from him for like hours, just dodging behind, <laughs> like mixing him in groups. And it was like, and I had this realization, like I could like, he couldn't, I could hide from him, legitimately hide from him in the crowd of people. <laughs> and that, that was such, it was such a weird feeling for me um, where, you know, it's so, I think physically it felt really good and very centering and, and grounding to be there. And yet um, towards the end, I think we were there for maybe two weeks mm. towards the end. I just, I stopped trying to order things or ask questions about things. Cause I was so tired of telling people I didn't speak Korean. And so, and, but then I would, so I would just like, uh, sometimes I would like literally just step behind my husband and have him ask because then people, because people were very, you know, they were thrilled that he Mm -hmm. could say something and, you know, they had this level of forgiveness and um, flexibility with him that they didn't have with me. And so, and I think it was just hard to like feel so connected to a place and then every interaction you have reminds you that you don't really know what you're doing here. <laughs> um, and so that was really hard. It was, it was, uh, I think it's just something you can't really prepare for. You can be aware of, but you can't really prepare for that. Um, uh, but it was great. I mean, it did, it felt, it felt really awesome to be there. And like Seoul is a really fun, exciting city and um, yeah. And it was really cool. I want to know, because you're not the only person who said this, but like, how do you get on this TV show? <laughs> like, I, is that like an application? Do they have like producers? I don't like, yeah, know if they do it anymore. Life. I think the show that I was on, I don't think it airs anymore. Mm. Oh, okay. Um, like, what was that process like? Because like, I'm always, I don't know. I I hear that a lot. And I'm yeah, like, yeah. I didn't even that. know that that's, that's yeah. a thing. But I don't like, know yeah, if I they do TV it anymore. Um, because I went, I went as part of goal, which is global overseas adoptee link. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. and so they, so goal is the one that sort of brokered all those experience, gotcha. those opportunities. Okay. So yeah. I don't know how, if you could do that on your own or if there was an organization or another person that could help you beyond that. Okay, but did it um, feel like local access network television, like cable television, or did it feel like something big and produced and like this is like a whole people are making um, a meal out of this? Kind of kind of medium, I think. Okay. It was um, you know, it's definitely like it was at one of the big networks, SBS. Mm. Okay. Um my husband tells a story where he feels like he was like a celebrity because they're like kind of like ushering you through the lobby and, and like he's just like this tall white guy like he's like yeah I'm famous and go and do this um and it, one of the funny things about the show was so there was maybe um, a dozen people that chose to be on the show maybe more 
and uh, we had name tags and they all had our Korean names, like whatever name we were assigned at birth or at the adoption agency. And one of the like production assistants kept trying to like corral people, but they kept using Korean names and and, like nobody was even (laughs) reacting to this guy talking. They had no idea that they were even talking to us. And finally, but then I saw it, I was like, and I told him, I'm like, you need to use their English names because they don't know their Korean names. Yeah. I mean, if, if a Korean person said, I mean, they would have to be shouting and like making gestures at me to be like, they're talking about, I'll be like, Oh yeah, that's right. (laughs) <laughs> that I, I, yes, that could, that could be me possibly. So, um, it was, it, and you know, it, but it did feel really a little bit exploitative. I mean, you know, it's a show and their ratings. And so there was like a pre-interview before the taping. And, um, I, I had, I had a moment where I was like, oh man, I wish I would have thought of this in the moment. Um, but so the producers were asking you questions, like, like really, like, well, what's your relationship like with your adoptive family? You know, and they're really just, mm-hmm. you know, they want to hear about tragic, really. The drama. Drama mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and then, like, asking, you know, just and some general questions, like, why do you, why do you want to do this? And why is it important? And um, one of the producers was pregnant at the time, like, very pregnant. And I wish I would have asked her, if you weren't keeping your baby, wouldn't you want her to come back to find you? Mm. Like, why, why do you think I'm here? Right. Um, and, you know, I was just having a conversation today about adoption is such a weird vacuum that twists things and makes things not true that in the outside world are always true, but in adoption, they become untrue or totally different. But I think that's one of them. It's like you're all of a sudden, because you're adopted, your birth family doesn't exist anymore. And in adoption, that's totally okay to erase people like that. Um, And so that was really, and, and I think it just speaks to how little Korean people understand about adoption. Like, I feel like it's, a, it, you know, it's, it's a, the show was a little bit like reunion porn. Like there were some people they followed around and they taped um, them meeting their families for the first time. And, you know, first for outsiders, it's just like a feel good kind of experience that you're, but for people experiencing it, it's like way more than that. Yeah. Well, as a, as part of like a TV show, it's like, you know, it has to be spun in a good way. You don't want to see somebody not reunite. You want to see, oh, they went into reunion. And so that means the other side of adoption is good too. Like when we yeah, talk, you yeah. talk, you talk about the dominant adoption narrative, it's like, well, how can we utilize the system to play into it? So it's always good. So it always yeah. lands good. Yeah. But for the people that are experiencing it, you don't know that it's like, it might not be good. Like it, you could go through all different kinds of emotions at that point. And reunion especially with the language and cultural barriers is hard. I mean, I'm not in reunion, but I have the benefit of knowing many people who are in reunion and it's rarely easy if ever. I mean, at best it's complicated. And and not only that, it's one of the things that, uh, you know, the language barrier uh, is, is difficult, but then it also makes me feel guilty that I'm not doing more to try to learn the language to bridge that gap so you know i kind of deal with a little bit of that every once in a while but uh yeah luckily you know iphones and google you know <laughs> allow it to be at least somewhat manageable 
Um, the future so is now good. because of science. Yeah, right. <laughs> much um. more so than back in the day when you'd be, probably be using a little book, you know. And, yeah, you know I mean? right, right. That, that would have yeah. been that would have been really hard. So. And yet, to learn to relearn the language is like to revisit your trauma every time. Hmm. Oh, sure. Yeah. And so it's it's hard and it's hard but it's hard not to feel guilty about that. Like why can't yeah. I just learn Korean? Like <laughs> I've, I've tried, tried several times. <laughs> and it's like and that's that abyss that you're occup- that we occupy. Yes. It's just like and that's then, part um, of the things you're trying to grab onto. And the yeah. opposite side, my brother, he kept saying it, he was going to try to learn uh, English. And oh. uh, so he took lessons. I know he was taking lessons cuz he was showing me like and every once in a while when he writes me, he he does write in English even either though he might have also translated it, but mm. um, yeah. So, oh wait, Patrick, I was going to tell you, seeing the other people in reunion is a great example of the both and, where right. you are so happy for these people for for finding this, and yet you like feel jealous and despair for yourself because you want you want to be those people, um, and it's one of those things where your mind really needs to learn how to, you know, walk on the tension or deal with the paradox of that experience. And, um, when we, I was adopted through Eastern is my, um, Korean agency. Mm-hmm. And when we, the day we went to visit Eastern, um, one of the people, actually, was actually one of the wives of one of the members of my cohort, she was just there to be there, but she is also was a Korean adoptee. So they're like, Hey, we'll, we'll search for your parents as long as you're here. She's like, okay, whatever. Um, and they found our family. Wow. And we were there. Um, we were, we were in the hallway walking to a different room and they were in a room when her, she met her family and um it's like this is a a sound I'll never forget what you the mom like started like wailing like this kind of keening wail and it just like I just haunts me sometimes and just of like this I don't know like this sort of primal pain that she was expressing and it was really um it was very memorable. I mean, made a huge impression. And but it, it, it's it's one of those things where it's like you're happy for people in reunion, and like you know. And actually, I'm at the point in my life where I kind of feel like I'm more at peace with not being in reunion because I see how complicated it is, <laughs> and mm-hmm. so I'm like, mm. sure, maybe I just want to deal with the ambiguity more than the actual m- pragmatic details of trying to maintain a relationship with people that I can't even speak to. Yeah, I totally get that. Like I you said you're not a crier. I am a crier and I can only imagine being in that moment and I think I've been having those conversations with myself recently is like am I okay with that? Like I don't know if I'm ever going to make that move officially to like do a search. Um but I like what you said about it being very representative of the both and of of adoption and, and the adoptee experience and I also think something I hadn't thought about I've been reading a lot about like the act of decentering and like taking yourself out of this moment or, or whatever you think you are at the center of, and then really finding your way to who's missing and who that most marginalized group is. So you can center the right people and the, and the right things. And I think when you were talking about it being that both end and sta- being there happy for this person, but also feeling that those pangs of jealousy, I, I resonated because like, I feel that when I see reunions on just the social media, 
like just seeing scrolling on Instagram and seeing people talking about it. I can feel that. And I think I hadn't ever thought about like, this is a moment where if you are able to decenter yourself in it, you know, you can find ways to walk in this, this both and situation that you find yourself in. And I think, you know, we could have tons of conversation, long conversations about decentering and, and things like that. But I think it's not, it's, it's a way I haven't thought about it before. Um, yeah. So I just really appreciate you sharing your experience with that. Um, yeah. And again, giving us more language as, as we started the episode off with or the interview off with, you know, we're continuing. I think this conversation has been really great for that. Oh, thank you. I was actually just thinking about trying to write a letter to Henry Louis Gates Jr. He, he hosts the PBS show Finding Your Roots. Mm. And it's like a genealogy show and it's like famous people and he tells them about their family tree and their ancestors and they can go back and back and back. And I always want to write to him and be like, I hope you know that this show is torture for adopted people. It's like, it's like a train wreck because you, it's so fascinating to see how far back, like how much information there is about people's ancestors. And yet it just, it reminds you of this like gaping loss of, and blankness that you have of your own past. And I actually, once I, I think I wrote, I wrote a, I wrote a, like a, an essay about it because I had been watching it and it was like Meryl Streep. It was Meryl Streep. And she was like looking at this. She's like, oh my gosh, this is so amazing. She's like, we're like, we're the sum of all the people that come before us. And I was like, uh, I have no numbers for that equation. So does that make me zero? Uh, what's my sum? It, my sum is borrowed from my adoptive sure. family. And my husband like walked into the room. He's like, are you okay? And I was, and then it's like, <laughs> again, if, clearly a significant moment because I was like crying. I was like, I don't have any people. <laughs> I don't know who my people are. And um, so it's really, it's, it's, it's hard to, um, you know, even the both and with like, with my husband, like the, the men in his family all have like um, a strong resemblance. Mm. And on one hand, I really love to see it because it's really cool because that's not an experience that I have. And on the other hand, it's very difficult because it's not an experience I have. Sure. Um, yeah. So it's kind Definitely of like the same thing as two things. Well, uh, Nathan does not know how to segue. I don't know how to segue on this one. I definitely, I can definitely resonate with that. Um, and I just want to say, I really appreciate you coming on the show and, and sharing so much because for me personally, I see a lot of my story in your experience. Like the way that you started to come out of the fog was, is very similar to mine. Um, and the, the way that you approach like reading about and finding your way into the community um, I just felt very resonant uh, with my own story. And, you know, I think that's one of the reasons that we did the show. And one of the reasons that we wanted to have guests on was to be able to amplify stories. And so we can find ourselves, we can find those mirrors uh, out there because they, they do exist. And um, because we, as kids, we didn't have that. Uh, we have to find it now as adults. And, you know, that's what we're doing mm -hmm. and building community here. So Really appreciate you, Shalise, for coming on and sharing. We are going to be right back. We're going to take a quick break, and Shalise is going to join us for a very tasty treat. So we will roll that break. <laughs> Welcome back to the John Chi Show. 
food portion. I don't know. Sometimes I say food. Sometimes I say eating. Sometimes I say, you know, drinking. I don't know. Exploration of of tasty treats. You can call it whatever you want, but uh, it is the time where we enjoy something to snack on. We mukbang together. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, thank you so much, Chalice. We just had a great interview. Um, but now uh, we're going to try something I think we've tried before. Um, Patrick says we tried it before. I actually don't remember trying it that time that we tried it. So, um, But I know it's a popular one. It's turtle chips. Not yeah, to be I'm confused with actual turtles. I'm 80% sure I've never had them before. You don't You don't remember having turtle chips? Yeah. I'm almost 100% packaging. positive we did. I'm really? Anyways, you guys See, talk. You now guys I'm going to have to go. You guys talk. <laughs> I'm going to have to go back Patrick's through. thinking like honey butter yeah, Chicken. see, that's what I was wondering. No, 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 no. We've had it. Oh, I don't know. Anyways, anyways, <laughs> we are going to go through turtle chips, and we can, you know, we can we can revisit things. We revisited snacks. Yeah, we revisit yeah. stuff all the time. Yeah, I'm so. revisiting this injolmi snack. Yeah, oh, and you're yeah, Apparently you have a little we've bit had different this before. Thing. I don't know what it is. Yeah, that one's similar. It essentially is like a rice cracker as well. But Chalice, why? Do you have these? You said you already had these at home. <laughs> so is this like a staple? Why do you have these? Why do you have these chips? <laughs> That's like, no, Shalise, well, I've looked into your fridge and see that you have milk. Why do you have that? <laughs> <laughs> um, I have turtle chips. I was have recently been introduced to turtle chips okay. by my friend Hope. She's an OG Korean adoptee. Shout out. Come on the show. Um, <laughs> We met, we actually, there's a, a Korean market um, in the Portland area and they have like a, a restaurant on the second floor and um, we, we met and then we got, uh, we're getting snacks. I was actually getting more pushu pushu for my kids. And then Hope was like, oh, have you, I need the turtle chips. Have, and I was like, turtle chips? I've never had those. And um, so I tried them. And I loved them. I actually think they're like my new honey butter chips. Like I Ooh. always have a supply of honey butter at my house. <laughs> but now I'm I'm really loving the turtle chips. And actually, luckily, I have two bags because um, I had been talking with Nathan about what we should do. I'm like, what's your turtle chips? And I opened the bag because I was like, I had it out. I'm like, okay, now I have to eat it. And then <laughs> later that day, my kids ate the rest of them. So... Very I, nice. I yeah. always have now. I always have. There's some. There I always have like ramen, pushy pushu, honey butter chips, and now turtle chips. Nice. I Sounds like some good staples. And pushu pushu separately. You like? I need ramen that I, is a noodle <laughs> and ramen that is a crunchy snack. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Completely. And not only that, with the turtle chips, you need something that's like a little bit sweet, but then also maybe something that's a little more spicy or something. I don't know. There's a couple other yeah. chips out there that I'm really there's spicy turtle thinking. chips. There's some other. There's a. There's a couple other things I might get you guys for one of these t- uh, days, but it's a. Uh, it's like a topoki chip. Oh. Mm. So it's like a spicy uh, thing, but we'll see. This one, however, is by Orion. I'm. I'm assuming a lot of people have heard of them, and if not, um, it, I mean, I'm showing the viewers, even though no one's. We're not doing <laughs> video, but it's a turtle. It's got a giant turtle. Looks like a comic book on the front of Kinda it. Kind of looks like Franklin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With a top hat. Yeah, he's got a top hat. And then the, the one I have is the sweet corn flavor. Yeah, that's what I have. That's the one you have too. Um, but yeah, 
It uh, oh, actually, sorry, turtle, turtle news chip. Why is it called turtles? Turtle news chip. But I don't know. It's gluten free, so I'm gonna dig in here. And... <laughs> this is definitely an ASMR snack. Oh yeah, that's super crispy. <laughs> it even says down at the bottom in quotes or in a, a little uh, bubble speech bubble. Wow, four layers. <laughs> mm. Like one of the reasons I like them. So it reminds me of um, when I was growing up, my mom used to buy bugles. Are you familiar with bugles? Oh, yeah. They're also a corn trip. I'm familiar with bugles. Come on. And so they're perfect for putting on your fingertips Mm -hmm. and, like, making claws with them. But also very similar taste, you know, a corn, crispy corn snack. Um, But I like the turtle chips because they're, like, lighter. The layers are thinner, and so it's, like, crispier. Have you had a bugle lately? Because I bought some again recently, and it it was completely different from what I remember from my childhood. Really? Yeah. yeah. I don't know if they changed the recipe or if I'm just like, you know, how things are different when you're younger. Um, but I, I just, I didn't like it. I actually, it wasn't something that I wanted to eat again. You know, as a kid, I probably would have eaten them every week, you know, but yeah. I just was like, eh, not good. But turtle chips. Like you said, it's more light. It's more flaky. Um, and I like that it's a sweet corn um, kind of flavor. All right. Yeah. Well, yeah. I've been busy fact-checking, and I hate to admit this, but I don't think that we've done turtle chips on the show. <laughs> I told you. Um, I think I was thinking of the popping corn chips, but I've had turtle chips in two two different styles of turtle okay. chips before. So I think I was just confusing in my brain. It's okay. I accept your apology, Patrick. (laughs) I wasn't apologizing. (laughs) I was just admitting fault and holding myself accountable, but not apologizing. No, but no, these are these are really good. Uh, What about your KJ? I know we had it. I kind of remember those being a little sweet as well. They are a little sweet. They have like a like the more I eat them, uh, they have like a peanut buttery flavor, like a nut butter flavor that comes through, which is I think pretty nice. Um, it's pretty subtle. It's um, rice flour, wheat fiber, olive oil, salt, and injomi seasoning, which is just soybean, sugar, and palm oil. So, like, really simple ingredients to like. And it's a puffy, like, uh, kind of, uh, I don't even know how to describe it, but it's like a puffy, crunchy snack. Like a, oh, like a, like a Cheetos puff, except minus mm. all the cheese flavor, you know? Mm. Um, but yeah, it's really good. Uh, I'm happy I'm eating them because they expire at the end of this month. So, yeah. Um, I don't like wasting food, but they're they're good. I'm gonna jump ahead to the ratings portion and give it five out of five because I think it's really good. And maybe that's just because I'm hungry. But <laughs> right now, it's getting five out of five. I don't know what I gave it last time, but that's what it's getting now. What was that again? What are you eating? Enjoy me. Like mm. a right. It looks like uh, oh, almost okay. like a. I remember. Yeah, like a little pillow. Yeah, I it's think. like a pillow rice cracker. Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. It's real good. Yeah. I don't really remember. Shalise, what uh, what do you think about the turtle chips? I know you you had them just last week, but yes, well, are you going to continue buying say, these? Uh, absolutely. <laughs> I, I'll, I I do have to preface this by saying that um, more in my youth, but my my husband used to tell me chips are not a meal. <laughs> Liar. Yeah. So I I am I'm a huge fan of of chips and snacks in general, but um turtle chips definitely five out of five. They'll always be a staple in my snack pantry because they're like 
the texture Come on the right show. is good. Yeah, it's like <laughs> oh, this no. the 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 flavor like the sweet and a little bit salty balance is really good, I think. I, yeah. I really like them. Only 160 calories per bag. Okay, here, yeah, I need to oh, check something because no, that's not true. Either third bag. My bag nutrition facts say Either it's one serving per container or a serving size is one and there's a hundred. Um, <laughs> but the calories are 142. So I need to know if I just ate. I think it's got, a, I got, I don't, I don't know. It's 142 okay. per piece. <laughs> yeah, per single piece. Per single cracker. 1,420 calories. <laughs> um, so in my experience, the regular turtle chips, I do enjoy, but... And I would probably give them a close to a five, but um, friends of the show, Jeff and Sarah Park Dolan, when I met them in Champ or outside of Champagne for dinner one time, they gave me a box of snacks as a gift. And in there was churro flavored turtle chips. Mm. And those things, 10 out of five, would buy again, <laughs> would recommend to everyone. Amazing. That sounds wow. delicious. Yeah, we've had a couple churro-flavored things on here, I yeah, believe. Yeah, what up, and, Korea? Yeah. Why are you jumping um, in that churro? The churro-flavored turtle chips, so, so good. So, recommending Man. those to every, all of our listeners. Now you're making me change my rating because I want the churro turtle yeah, chips. Yeah, I'm like, and now I'm like, I'm covetous of churro-flavored <laughs> yeah, turtle I chips. Yeah, update your rating for sure. So, like, Corn is so pedestrian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, basic. It's the OG. It's okay. I'm from Indiana where there's only corn. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> he has everything. I have corn. To, I'm biased against the corn. He's got corn flavored corn out there. Um, so yeah. I, yeah, I agree. This is a five out of five. I, I everything about it is tasty. Uh, and now I want to try the churro ones, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I will continue to eat these turtle chips. So good job, Orion. Good job, turtle guy on the front. Whoever that is. There you go, Korean Franklin. I wonder if he's got like a name. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I think we bought turtle chips to hand out to people at the live show, and we never handed out the snacks. Mm. Dude, I've never seen that packaging before. (laughs) You're a liar. I guarantee it. I will pay you money. I will load it into your brain and look through your eyes. The chicken on the spicy ramen, that that chicken has a name. The one that's breathing fire. Oh, Bulldog? Yeah. Holchi. Mm. That's the the chicken's name. Holchi? Holchi? Hold yeah. with an yeah. All right. Hold Good to know. We're learning some more. Yeah. I like it. Well, Shalise, you have been nonstop giving us language yeah. to this episode oh. from less essential things like the name of the chicken mascot to more essential things <laughs> like how to talk about our childhood trauma. Yeah. Um, it's been, <laughs> right? been really wonderful having you on the show. Where can people connect with you if they want to, if you want that uh, to get in touch and say, hey, you're really fantastic. And we should oh, um, well, the best way to reach me is probably my email because I'm old. Um, <laughs> We're not, not ages on, on the show. show. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that coming. I first. You're just old school. Um, yeah, old school. <laughs> I'm old school. Fine. That's fine. I'm, I'm yeah. a classic. I'm a classic these days. Exactly. Um, and which is just my first name, Shalise, S-H-E-L-I-S-E at adoptionmosaic.com. Perfect. And how about Adoption Mosaic? Do what's their social handles and things like that? Um, they're on in, we're on Instagram at Adoption Mosaic and Facebook also Adoption Mosaic. Perfect. Wonderful. I guess we'll link those in the show notes as well, so yep. okay. you will be able to go Wonderful. there from there. Um, and as always, 
King Patrick. Do you want me to do it? Sure, go ahead. Start with yours. You know, I'm going to cut all this out right here that we're doing and put it in the front. Yeah, sure. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Cut cut away. Well, Jalise, again, thank you so much. Uh, For the listener out there, you can interact with us on all of our social medias at John Chi Show. You can send us an email as well to John Chi Show at justlikemedia.com. Remember, we are accepting submissions for the voice memo and portion of the show that we want to do eventually um so send us your questions your comments your concerns and we'll talk about them if you want us to talk about them um if you want to support us and support the show you can go to johnchyshow.com backslash support there are a bunch of different options there you can buy us coffee you can buy merch from us buy our stickers um because we i know we still got stickers um and last but not least if you are able and you really enjoy the show we would love it if you give us a rating on spotify and or apple podcasts would love if those were five stars would love it even more if you wrote some review language in the review language box is that the right description review language (laughs) review language we'll we'll take a look at it edit it as we need to see fit (laughs) and then go from there um if you want to find me you can reach me at patrick in the world on instagram nathan you can find me at nnowak on Instagram and Nathan Nowak on Facebook. And you can find me at Patrick in the world on Instagram. <laughs> That's right. KJ is Turtle chips in the world. KJ has taken over my Instagram. <laughs> yep. Patrick so there will be nothing there. <laughs> what? Wow. No, Hot kidding. take. What a oh. burn. Okay. Got you. Got you, dude. Well, I quit. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Bye. That's, that's okay. I'm taking over KJ Roki. I'm going to be on the next episode. Taking my chips and gun. You are, you're not going to be on the next episode? No, I just quit. Well, <laughs> I mean, that's a first for the John Chi Show, Shalise. Welcome to the, yeah. to, to well, the thank next, you. I'm the glad I could witness spot. this. <laughs> well, KJ still has his Joan Chi Show, remember? So. <laughs> oh, yeah. He started another show without us. I forgot. <laughs> I haven't. None of, the, none of the production companies that I've gone to have picked up the pilot. So I, oh. I can't imagine why. <laughs> Thank you guys for the space because usually (laughs) like you know we're talking about famous adoptees like I consider Ostrid the famous one of the two of us (laughs) and so but I'm like haha you can't do this show because you're not (laughs) (laughs) like this is my chance this is your chance. We're going to put your. We're going to take your star and put it above Ostrid's. So I'm sorry, <laughs> Shalise is now the most famous person. Well, and you just got an adoption mosaic. So you'll yeah. hear Nathan, Patrick, and Shalise next week. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm getting a new there's job. A, there's an opening. <laughs> That's right. We have an opening. Um, I but, do like snacks. <laughs> well, you're going to love being a host of the show. So uh, for everybody else, we will be back next week with a new host, a new episode, <laughs> and more and more fun. Until next time, John Chi. John Chi, hey Bye. see here how do we start this again you say welcome back <laughs> to the john chi show thanks <laughs> she just do it all at the same time <laughs>